0: Welcome everybody out to the D2D Podcast, the Golden Door Deep Dive segment where I, your host, Ross, pick the brains of the Golden Door winners of this past year. We got a special episode. We got a solar episode. Uh, Our boy, dude, I totally forgot your name for a second. (laughs) Set the... everybody to the D D podcast. We got the golden door deep dive segment where I, your host Ross, picked the brains of all the golden door winners of this past year. We got Mr. Seth Dozer with us brought to us by from the solar industry. Uh, absolutely crushed it this year, dude. How the hell are you, man?
1: I'm doing good, man. Just, you know, it's coming into, uh, the end of the year here. So kind of just tightening everything up and planning for next year, really, but doing good. Thank you for having me.
0: Dude. It's so good to have you on here, dude. I, I I love having solar guys on here. It's such a different beast uh, in, in terms of everything. But uh, before we really dive into kind of some of the nuances of that, I, I just want I want to
1: hear your story. How'd you get in the industry? How'd you get into solar? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. I started, I got into solar when I was in college. So um, I went to the U of A, University of Arizona. I grew up in Southern Arizona. Um, play a little bit of college football in the Phoenix Valley, then went back to Tucson to finish my degree. And to finish my degree, I had to do an internship to graduate, which a lot of degrees require now. Um, And this is before COVID. um, And I was looking for different internships to do different things. Um, It was in the architecture field. So a lot of Architecture stuff, but a lot of them didn't pay. None of them. There were like free internships and stuff like that. And I was like, I cannot afford to do all this work for free and and do all this stuff. There was one that my girlfriend found, and it was uh, and it had there was a sustainable built environments twist um, at the U of A there. So there was a solar company. Anyways, found an internship that paid. It was solar. It was a Phoenix company here, and they were doing uh, like a Tucson. Um, kind of own little blitz model for an internship, you know, you go ham for you know 10 days, take whatever off, but um, anyways, got into it, did that, went on as a setter, didn't really know anything about solar. I knew what obviously solar was, I didn't know anything there was about door to door. Um, jumped right into it, and I think my first month I had like 13 deals deal sell. Um, so I was like and made a good clip of cash. And I was like, holy crap, this is nuts. Yeah, you started printing money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As a college student. So I was like, this is insane. Um, So I did the internship, graduated. um, As great as solar was then, I was like, yeah, no, I'm out. I don't want school. I don't want to go knock doors. And I guided big game hunts all over the West in Arizona, New Mexico, and Northern Mexico. So I'm a huge outdoorsman. And I wanted to figure out a way how to make money you know, hunting. And I did. And I did that for, I did that throughout college as well, along with the internship. And then um, did that for two years after I graduated and quickly realized, you know, it was great. It was cool. I learned a lot just about myself and in terms of discipline and, you know, hardships, stress, everything that kind of door-to-door involves is also there in the guide life of dealing with high-end clients um, you know, bad weather, whatever it may be, you get you get a lot of stuff thrown at you um, involving you know individuals who have a lot of money and and want want success. So um, once that was over for about two years, I quickly realized that there was not the solar money in it. You know, I was doing it more for the love of it, which was great. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and quickly came back to solar after two years when I got out of my system and was like, all right, now I need to go make big boy money. So.
0: Dude, I love that. I love that. Dude, I love that you're a hunter. That's
1: that's actually super badass. Tell me about that a little yeah. bit. You know, I I grew up doing it. It's one of those things like hunting. I feel like obviously it's a it's a thing that we've been doing for a long, long time, but it's really hard to get into if you don't get it taught to you by somebody that's been doing it. So I, at a very young age, I started with my father and my uncle and um, pretty much everyone around me that, you know, it was just kind of what we did, you know, oh, and um, ate wild game. And it was just part of the upbringing. And uh, I fell in love with it, got addicted to it and, you know, ended up making a living off of it. And just really anything that these states had to offer, I got involved with outfitters and guiding and landowners and pretty much anything you can think of.
0: I love that, dude. Um, and what's crazy too, I love how things that we do, like you know, outside of the doors, they both tie into the doors and they tie into life too. Like think of all the life lessons you've learned from, from hunting. And then now you're hunting deals. You're hunting
1: people. Kind of tell me about that a little bit. Some of the lessons. Yeah. There's a direct correlation. And really what it comes down to is like guiding. I used to always say it's the industry of, of zero control, meaning there's so many things in that realm they're just in nature or just in that industry where that you can't control it, whether it's the weather, the animals, the hunt, uh, previous rain, you know, anything so much different stuff, the wind um, clients ability to to go get around and do certain things. So there's so many things that you cannot control whatsoever, yet dictate such a huge portion of your success and whether you're going to be successful or not. um, During that time, whether you're at you know, in Arizona, New Mexico, or in, you know, Tajikistan, wherever you are in the world hunting. So it quickly taught you to say, Hey, we're going to make the best of this situation. And, and, you know, use my uh, professional skills to, to make the best of this situation. So a lot of times, a lot of correlation between dealing with people understanding that, Hey, this stress that you're getting hit with, whether it's customers blasting you or, a cancel or a rough week on the doors or whatever you're doing a lot of it you know yeah you can control it but there's a large large portion of even solar that you can't control so you just got to let go uh and keep hustling so it's like you keep moving one step at a time and success will follow so that's that's the main correlation it's like everything is you know, up in the air, majority of it. Yet we stress about it because we can't control it. Um, but you really just have to focus on the, the things that you can control and double down on it. Dude, what a powerful lesson. That's power right it, there. It, it, and the big thing I saw too is with, um, because like in the hunting industry, when you're outfitting and, and guiding, most of your clientele that can afford those kind of hunts are um, very high-end business individuals, you know, own their own companies, sold multiple companies are just... Anything you can think of, most of them are very, very successful. Uh businessmen and women, obviously mostly men, but there's also women involved too that were um, very successful and like to hunt and things. Um but majority of the, the the people that I guided were all um just high achievers, you know. And I think after you spend that much time with people, you quickly realize like the character traits that they have. And you can ultimately see that within yourself a lot of times like shit, like I can. I can do what they're doing. I can, you know, yeah, he's 30 years older than me, 40 years older than me, but I can definitely do what they're doing. So um, there's definitely like a point of being able to recognize these character traits, these individuals and and ultimately emulate that. So learned a lot, met a lot, uh, wouldn't trade it for a thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's crazy too, because it's like that just so directly like correlates with, the the industry that we're in, it's like if you yeah. emulate you emulate those who are doing better than you, and that's yeah. like the blueprint for success right there. So I I, I do want to kind of t- move into that where it's like you know you learning to be a top elite performer sales rep. What did it take for
1: you to learn that? You know I I, I hate to like to say that a lot of it I think comes naturally. Uh, Maybe it was one of those things that was learned at a young age, Um, but the biggest overlying word, whether you're like, a door-to-door winner or a golden door winner, or you know, or whether you apply for it or not, or have a bunch of sales, like anybody you look at that's successful in this industry, the overlying thing that they all have is just straight up discipline. Um, and that word gets thrown around a lot, especially in this current age with like, it's a buzzword, you know, it's a buzzword and like there's a lot of influencers that's like their favorite word. But at the end of the day, you look at it, that's, that's the core of it. Um, you look at any individual, including myself, it's like, you want to know why you're successful. So just you keep keep doing it. You don't stop. You get up and do it every day. Um, and you're disciplined to work on the craft and the skill set of door-to-door handling clients, uh, new ways to sell, new ways to close. So it's the discipline on the craft itself. And I think that's where a lot of guys go wrong, is they think it's just a numbers game. And they're like, Oh, I hit 200 doors a day and I didn't talk to any, uh, didn't send any appointments or didn't get any, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well. If you're talking to that many individuals, and you're having no success. It's probably something that you're doing. So you need to stay disciplined enough to work on the craft itself of door-to-door sales and learning how to pitch maybe a little bit different. Or hey, you need to close it in a different way. You need to be saying things completely different in the home, your tonality's off or whatever it may be. So many guys just want to, oh, I'm out there, I'm doing it. I'm not successful. Um, you know, the industry sucks. It's like, no, it's a skill set. So you gotta, you gotta be skillful.
0: Oh, 100,000%. It's like you always, it's, yeah. it's like what they say, you, you rise or fall to the level of your training when your back's against the wall. Yeah. So it's like, especially, yeah. I can't think of a job that re- like has like more pressure on you than like the door-to-door sales job, because it's like, yeah. Yeah. if you aren't sharp, because if you're that weird kid that knocks on the door, you have no idea what to say, you're kind of bumbling around a little bit, they're gonna be like, this guy is creepy, Get out of yeah. here, especially with how saturated solar is, and how saturated solar is in Arizona. It's like you're just another solar guy that I'm going to kick your ass.
1: <laughs> like, uh, no, you gotta, you gotta be, um, you gotta be on your game. You cannot be. I mean, of course, everyone starts at a different place, um, and I think when you're first coming into the industry, um, you really don't know what you don't know. So you're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, but here in Phoenix, as you know, it's. I mean. It's saturated as heck, which is, I mean, whatever, it's okay. Uh, But the reality of it is, like you said, is like, you got to be on your game. You can't just be a, you know, Joe Schmo on the door and and hope it works. It's like, no, you got to work on this. You got to become skillful at it. So just like anything I always compare, it's like, it's like, like, look at welding, like a trade of welding. It's like, okay, you want to be a top tier welder like probably got to weld a lot. You got to be a really good welder and you got to try different types of welds and do different types of certifications. Uh, you got to hone your skill. It's no different here. This is just talking though. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, it's communication. Um, yeah. It, I, I think that's powerful. So what, what aspect of learning how to sell was the most difficult for you to learn?
1: That's a good question. You know, I think for me is patience. Um, I am a very go, 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 high octane, like 200 mile an hour. Once I find something I like, like it's, you know, both barrels, it's, it's just go time. Um, So for me, it's patience. Like uh, I remember when I first started, you get really frustrated. You're like, crap, I only have this, or I only have that. Uh, It's my, you know, my second month and I'm only at X amount of sales. And you kind of start looking around the room. You're like, well, I'm way ahead of everyone else, but you still kind of have that pressure or that stress of, wanting to be successful. So I think for me is letting my time uh, in the industry evolve and let it turn into what it's supposed to. I think a lot of people don't have the patience to let this skill set evolve because people want to go online and learn all the new things and, you know, study and, and train. But it's like, you're only going to be able to apply that in the real life scenario. So whether you're knocking on a door or closing a deal, that's where you're going to get your real feedback. Like in the training room, that's great. You're going to get some feedback, but until you really lay it down in a house or on the door, um, that's where you're going to really see your training pay off. So you have to be patient with that and give yourself that time to be good. You know, you can't say, Oh, I did this for a month and then didn't work out. So I'm going to go quit. It's like, no, you got to give this time that it needs. So, I think for me, the most difficult thing was patience and understanding that, um, I'm not going to be the best right out of the gate. And you got to give yourself that grace to be good and to train and actually put it in the real life scenarios.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cause we get so caught up in comparison where it's like, Oh, like my buddy, he just like, started and he started killing it like right away and and it's like we get so caught up in in like the idea that we can be amazing right off the bat we we don't put any effort to sustain that. It's like, um, you know, I think we can be good off the bat, it just requires a massive amount of action a massive amount of work like you said it's like you know going in the dungeon and you know sharpening that that axe and really getting ready to for battle there so um i think yeah patience is a huge aspect of of learning the job so what what would you say to someone that is really like you know they're they're bright-eyed bushy-tailed they're green they're really eager to get get the skill set learned
1: um what what would you tell them what advice would you give If I were to give anybody I tell this to a lot of my guys and the old saying I like the saying of it is treat your sales like a dollar bill not a bar of gold And what that essentially means is is like hey if you sell a deal there's no money in the bank until it's installed yeah you might get a front end or whatever good for you but it's like until there's glass on the roof that ain't nothing So um I always tell guys, it's like, hey, you got a sale, cool, go get another one, and they're you know riding the high of that sale, and you know whether it gets installed or not, um, that can really dictate your emotional level. So I always tell guys, it's like you kind of need to become a neutral perspective on these deals, and kind of not disassociate, but kind of detach from the emotional level of what that sale does to you, because I think where a lot of people go wrong is they get a sale or they get the momentum, whether, or, you know, even if you're knocking doors, say you're a lead setter and you're setting appointments and you're doing, and you're doing well and a couple of deals have closed, you start riding that real, real high. You start your emotional level in terms of success, feeling good about yourself, starts to really, really peak. You get that confidence, blah, blah, blah. But you might have a week where, oh shoot, you know, a handful of them canceled or, Hey, you got sick and you couldn't knock for a few days. Um, but life gets thrown at you and you get hit with those negative aspects and then you crash and you see these guys go through this emotional uh, roller coaster. And I think we all go through it. I'm not sitting here telling you like there wasn't days where I was ready to you know, run out in traffic because there are days like that where you're just like, what the heck am I doing? So um, I think if I were to tell anybody new is to be in that median realm, ride it smooth throughout, whether you get a sale or you're having a rough week, just let it roll out don't freak out you know don't cry you know just roll with it you know so it's like whether you get a sale or not stay calm stay collective go to the next door so i think for that is some guys get so emotionally involved whether it's on a lead or a deal or a sell that it's just kind of this mental aspect that you're thinking about that you're like oh it's so exciting or oh my gosh it cal- canceled it's so detrimental it's like Dude, there's more deals. There's deals on every street. Go get another one. So, um, I think for new people, stay calm, stay collective, and keep going.
0: Love it, love it. I want to talk about market saturation. Um, so, yeah. obviously, in Arizona, there's a ton of sun out there. There's a ton of solar that is out there, but there are also a hundred companies. Uh, what do you do to differentiate yourself among all the competition?
1: Uh, yeah. So the biggest thing is, I think for me, is how you carry yourself. You got to carry yourself like a pro. You can't be an amateur. Um, and if you are an amateur, fake it till you make it. Act professional, dress nice. Um, don't say things disrespectful. Everyone's got a ring doorbell. Everyone's got the next door app out here. They talk about you. They talk about solar. Um, so you have to be a professional. People want to do business with professionals, not amateurs. So um, it's really how you I carry myself. Uh, but ultimately, I think how I take care of the homeowner and take care of the customer in terms of you know, these utilities and how they work and how they operate. Um, you gotta be helpful to these homeowners. You gotta help them rather than just sell them. So I think differentiating yourself is also consistency in your areas that you're knocking. Um, you see too many people that, oh, I want this area and they knock it for three, four days and then they bounce, go to a new area, and they just go to a new area, new area, new area. And it's like, well, you don't really grow your name in that area you don't really grow your status in that area you know if you have a neighborhood of a couple thousand homes and you've got a hundred installs in it it's like that's pretty powerful you can have someone jump in your car and say hey let's go drive by all the installs it's like holy crap this guy's all over the place versus you knock an area for a couple weeks get one sale uh and then you go back to it it's probably a little bit harder to sell because you have no validity in that neighborhood um, so that's a huge portion of it is staying consistent in these areas. And some of these areas that I've that I've been in, um, whether it's training guys or when I first started knocking, it's like I still go back to and sell deals. And I have some areas that I've had and gone to for the last two years, three years. So it's like stay consistent in those areas as long as that's viable for you. Um, but also when you're dealing with other solar companies. Uh, And just the overall saturation of it, I think for you, is just how you carry yourself in the house and on the door. People want to do business with a pro and they want to do business with someone like them. So that's where, you know, sales taxes come into play, whether it's matching and mirroring, uh, do what you need to do in terms of uh, building rapport and building trust. I love that. I think it's so cool
0: that you touch on like, because a lot of guys are just like area hungry, bounce from place to place. They never settle. They like always just, and, and that's kind of the more like gives the more like, oh, this is a fly by night guy who's not really caring. Whereas like, you know, us as salespeople, we're entrepreneurs, right? So wherever we go, that's like, we need to view that as if we're establishing a like our business there, because we are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and exactly. if you build that credibility, like I love what you said, because it's like some neighborhoods you go, you can talk to someone and they just shoot you off. Right. Right away. But yeah. then you get all the neighbors in on it. And yeah. now you have so much momentum going into the, the deal and they'll listen to you, yeah. even though you already talked yeah. to them.
1: Yeah, I can't tell you how many times where I've been in an area, i you know been training somebody, I knock their door and they're like, no, 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 we, blah, 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 blah. They couldn't, couldn't set the lead. And their next door neighbor gets installed by us. And I go out there on install day with a guy and I'm like, hey, let's go knock these guys. We talked to him last week. You knock them and you say, hey, did you even see the install go down? Blah, 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 blah. Next thing you know, you're, you're selling that deal. So it's like, guys, it's about consistency. Um, jumping from area to area within within a market I think can be detrimental not every situation but the more you kind of stake your claim like you were talking and you know consistently work an area and this kind of the snowball effect happens to where you're like oh I have two installs I have eight installs in the area I now have 15 I now have 80 installs in this area so it's like you start to dominate that area or even if you look at it in a couple streets so if you got like a series of five or ten streets and you get a couple installs on every street it's like You pretty much ran the show there. You can go around to all those other homeowners and, you know, milk them for, you know, whatever based off of what they saw your company do in terms of install or the overall views you're getting um, off of that happy customer. So it's like, again, that goes back to helping the customer rather than just selling them. There's a big difference. Uh, You can't just sell a homeowner. You got to help them. So find out their need and solve that problem. I love that. I love that. So
0: I want to walk through like the journey of, of, you know, Learning for you, learning how to close at an uh, effective level. So, yeah, what's
1: what's the hack for that? How do you learn to close at an elite level? I'm still learning that. No, I'm just kidding. Every I feel like every year you run into new, and I I, like even over the this past year closing. I feel like at least in my perspective has changed a little bit. Um, Money's tighter for a lot of people. Uh, they're looking at the news, they're scared, they're worried about a recession, they're worried about war, they're worried about where their next paycheck's going to be, they're worried about the existence of X, Y, or Z. So you're dealing with a different entity than what you were dealing with two, three years ago when money was cheap, uh, pretty much anything went, uh, solar was a little bit different in terms of you know whether it's fees, interest rates. So it's a different market that we're dealing with just a year ago. Um, so for me, this is what I tell most people, people are like, Oh, what's like a, a sales tip or a closing tip. One, the biggest thing in all this, so I think where people lose it is just trust. Like the, the foundation of sales is trust. People are going to do business with people who they trust. They're not going to do business with people who they do not trust. It's that simple. Okay. That, that's the foundation of it all. Um, a lot of that comes into building rapport. Uh, a lot of that comes into understanding their problem. So the overarching thing that I've learned in the house is listen, you have to listen, you cannot sit there and just say, Oh, this is what you need. This is what you're going to get. Whether you like it or not, you won't close anything. So you got to sit there and listen to the homeowner and actually figure out and pull out, pull out through questioning what their problem is. Why are they wanting to do this? What their true objections are? Right. So you actually you actually use skills to go in there and close. So biggest one for me is listening. I ask a lot of questions in the home. Majority of my clothes is asking questions and then telling a story. And then it's pretty easy after that, like the whole the whole going through a proposal on solar. Really, anybody can do it. You know, and presenting is not hard. Closing's hard. Right, that's where people get confused. Those are two different things: closing and presenting. Those are two different things. You can be a really good presenter and not close anything, yet you can be an okay presenter and close a lot. And way I've done that is through listening, understanding these homeowners' actual problems, um, and understanding what are they wanting to get out of solar, and catering my presentation to that. Now, of course, there's times where people have, let's say, problems or want solar for weird reasons that really don't make a ton of sense but then it's your job to go in there and say hey this is actually how it needs to be done based off my experience Um, and you go through that proposal um, but when you get to the end the closing aspect uh, if you've done everything right from start to finish the close is simple you assume it next thing you know you're you're signing them up so um, where people get hung up is they typically skip the steps one through ten say or they don't do them well. And then they get to the close and then the homeowner's like, whoa, what are you talking about? Hey, the heck are you doing? I'm not signing up with you. You know, and it's like this big shock um, to the homeowner and to the rep. So the biggest thing for new reps or even veteran reps that's been doing this for a long time, you just want to, you know, increase your close um, is I always say it's like, hey, God gave you two of these and one of these, use these more, ask more questions, understand what their problems are, understand why they're wanting to do this and understand why they haven't done it yet. It's like I think that's the biggest thing is like why are why are we sitting here now? You've been in the home for three years? Why are you just looking at solar? you know to so understand what their true objections are, why they haven't done it yet, most of the time you'll close it from there.
0: I love that, and I love what you talked about, like you paint pictures and tell stories um there you go. like i i I think that emotionalizes it uh,
1: are are you cool? We do a little role play, show people what that looks like exactly sure. so for me, like when i The first thing that I go into, so it's like, it's very simple. It's like, so everything in solar, whether you're setting the lead or closing it, the the process is fairly the same. So like as a setter, your whole close is setting the appointment, right? Getting the bill and setting the appointment. That's your close. As a closer, yours is you know actually closing the deal, getting them to sign up and blah, 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 blah. Um, So your first thing is like, hey, you want to Show them their problem. You want to create that problem. And the problem is the utility company, rising cost, things like that. And then you show them the solution, solution, which is solar, right? Hey, here's how you pay cheaper electric. This is how we solve your problem, right? Um, But it's obviously not that simple. You got to go into a little bit more detail. You got to be able to identify what type of person you're dealing with. Are they very analytical? Are they just uh, you know a pushover? Um, are they really A-type? So you want to identify that pretty quick when you're first there. So the first things I do when I get into the house to close is so I do not open my device. I do not open my iPad or my laptop for like 15 minutes. I just sit there and shoot the shit with them. Talk to them. Go over, hey, what are you? Who are you? Where are you from? What's your name? What's your kid's name? And I build rapport. And I build rapport essentially as long as I can. Okay. And I build reports. I can do it for 15 minutes. Great. we can going to do it for a half hour. Uh, I can't tell how many times I've been fed in a house. Like, Hey, we're making dinner. You want some food? You know what I mean? So building reports huge. Cause that's how they know that you're human. And they know that you're actually there to help them versus just sell them. Right. If you just walk in there, open up your iPad, you start going through it. They're like, wow, this was a very uh, robotic uh, non-custom experience. So it's like, if you go in there and you build rapport with them, then you build that trust after 15, 20 minutes, okay? What does that do for you throughout the proposal, throughout the close, okay? It gives you that trust that, hey, that you're an actual genuine human. You're wanting to know about them. And who knows, you might you might have a lot more commonalities with that person that will help you. I can't tell many times, like I've walked into houses and like thing you know, we're building rapport and we, we know someone, that we've you know mutual friend and you're like whoa what the heck how do you know that person and it you know helps you so um so that building rapport and then you have your discovery and pre those can be interchangeable uh based on how the presentation goes but discovery is huge and i think you have to ask a lot of questions especially in this market uh to differentiate yourself from other people so some of the main questions that i'm asking it's like hey what are we doing here today like obviously you guys set up an appointment to go over solar. What are you wanting to get out of this experience? Why are you wanting solar and why haven't you done it? You know I mean, so I ask a series of questions to understand that homeowner situation. And then I ultimately ask them to a certain degree, like, Hey, what is your problem? Why are you wanting to get away from the utility? And I pretty much have the homeowner sell themselves. I'm like, well, the reason we want to get away from the utility is there's a rate increase. Our bill, like our last summer bill, was seven hundred dollars. Da 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 da, and all that stuff. And they're kind of talking themselves into the idea of solar. Um, and then two, when you're going through those proposals, you got to keep it simple. It's just way too many reps overcomplicate solar. Um, and also, when you're sitting there in discovery. Uh, you, when you're catering to this, to these homeowners, you know, some people are pushing, you know, leases versus loans. Um, so you got to be able to differentiate what option is best for that homeowner, what's going to help them the most, you know, so you got to say, hey, this lease option is going to help you based on this. Or, hey, if you're looking to a loan option or purchase, um, what's your, you know, what's your tax situation like? Are you going to be able to get these tax credits, things like that? So um, you have to keep it simple. You cannot over Uh, complicate the process, uh, people are going to get scared. So in terms of role play, what were you thinking?
0: Yeah. So like, um, especially the aspect of like emotionalizing it and painting the picture and telling the story. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I, I, I need to think about it. I'm not sure if this is like, if I'm ready to pull the trigger for this yet.
1: For sure. And the biggest thing, like when people say, oh, I need to think about it or I'm not sure I want to do this. But like, hey, that's totally fine. I'm thinking about it's, you know, fantastic. So typically through my experience, uh, when people want to do something, it's really not time that's going to help them in terms of making that decision. It's information. Uh, they need information to make the decision. So what information did I not go over? Was it the price, the system itself? Um, or the product itself that's holding you back. So then you want to oh, go through those three things. It all looks good. I just, you know, need to think about it for sure. So when we go through and you talk about thinking about it, what exactly are you and your wife, uh, when I leave here, are you guys going to be thinking about to help you make this decision?
0: You know, just like thirty-year. You know, it's almost like a.
1: It's almost like a mortgage at this point. You know. I see. So you're looking. You're really worried about the length of the time. Yeah, it's it's a little daunting, you know. So 25 years. Okay, perfect. So in terms of the 25 years, is it just like, hey, the 25 years as in the total length of time? Or is it that the fear that you're like locked into this for 25 years?
0: It's just being, you know, locked in, tied down. It's on the credit
1: report for that long, you know. For sure. Definitely. So. Um, you know, in terms of this, are you guys worried about being locked in? Like when you sell the home, it's like, Hey, you're worried about if you sell the house that you're, this is going to have to stay with you or help me understand that a little bit more.
0: Uh, a little bit of that, a little bit of just like, you know, just having it on having it just be with us, you know, for 25 years, that's just going to be there.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, let me ask you a few questions. So, in terms of that, like on the resale side, the cool part about these programs, like I said in the beginning, this is all transferable. So, if you guys move in five years, the new homeowner is going to assume it. It's not like it follows you for 25 years. It stays here with the house. Okay. So, that's it's a non-issue. Um, it sounds like for you guys, you're just more worried about the idea of, hey, I have solar for 25 years. I have to make this payment for 25 years. Um, yeah. Now, if I were to script, um, what about your utility company? What program do they have you on? How many years are you locked into that?
0: Um I, I'm I'm not even sure. I mean, I guess I'm,
1: you know, guess we're with them for the long haul then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the crazy part about the utility company is like you're on an agreement that never ends. So let me kind of like paint a picture for you here, right? Paint a picture. Um, so what I compare this to is like what kind of car do you drive? I, I got a Toyota RAV4. Cool. Toyota RAV4. So when you went to that Toyota dealership, um, let's just say the car payment's 300 bucks a month. Okay. Now, if I wa- you walked into that Toyota dealership, you said, hey, I want this RAV4. This thing's smoking. It looks great. I love it. Sign me up. I, I want to buy it. Perfect. Awesome. I'm the salesman. I walk out there and I say, hey, your credit's good. Everything looks good. Your car payment's going to be $300 forever. Sound good? Would you oh my gosh. We no. that car. No, yeah. Most people wouldn't, right? So that's the current program you're on. So you're with your utility company, whatever utility company that is in this instance, is you're now currently on an agreement with them to where it's $300 a month forever. And that's not even including rate increases. So you're really worried about a 25-year program that has an actual end date. We know every month that's not going to change on you with an actual end date where you can now own this product versus. One that's going to continually go up by four to 6% a year with no, which one sounds most fiscally viable to you? Well,
0: honestly, probably the one with the end date.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of really what it comes down to is like, Hey, you guys have two options here. You can stay with this utility company. That's totally fine. If you want to stay with them, go for it. Okay. But at the end of the day, like I said, that payment is always going to go up. Okay, it's always going to go up by four to six percent a year, sometimes even more in some years. And there's no end date. There's no ownership. There's no equity in that. There's really no pros for you as a homeowner. Now, when you flip the script and you start doing it yourself, these are the pros. There's an end date. There's a finite amount of money that you're only going to allocate it to each month. It's going to add some value to your home. And you now have that control. Um, I know in the beginning of the presentation when we spoke, one of your biggest things, you were upset that there was no control. It's like you can stay with the utility company and have no control, but I don't think that's going to solve your problem. That makes sense. Yeah. So part of it, too, I think with a lot of these homeowners is there is a lot of misinformation out there uh, when you're dealing mm-hmm. with, with certain homeowners. Um, and that's another thing that I've ran into even in the past. Right? They say, oh, I see a 25-year or a 30-year or whatever whether it's their loan or lease and they're afraid that they're like locked into it or, Hey, it's a little sticker shock. Yeah. Yeah. Sticker shock. They see, you know, if it's like a purchase option and it's like 50 or 60 grand, they're like, Holy cow. You know, you gotta be able to help them get over that. Um, and they see, they saying like a 25 year, you know, option they're like, Holy cow. And a couple of other ways, cause I've actually had that objection here recently there. And the way I compared it to was like, Hey, um, I compared it to their house. I was like, "Did you guys did you guys do a fifteen or thirty year option on the house? For like thirty year option?" And I was like, "Okay, so why did you choose the thirty year versus just rent down the street? Like, why would you own the home or buy the house for a thirty year option rather than just keep renting down the road?" And they're like, "Oh, well, you know, we wanted equity. We, we, we wanted to own it." And you're like, "Yeah." yeah. Yeah. It's 100 hundred percent. You don't want to pay someone else's mortgage forever. Right? Yeah. And they're like, Oh, of course. And I'm like, this is the same exact concept. So you're now just putting an agreement attached to your own electricity with an end date and an allocated monthly amount that will never go up. And you're done.
0: Bada bing, bada boom, dude. I, I yeah. loved, I love that whole thing. So if you guys are listening to this, like, I hope you, you took notes, even just like your tonality, was powerful and just the way you bit like you know we'll break it down a little bit it was just like well i need to think about it and it was like well what is it you know you know what i mean you you asked the right questions to get me to finally break down and be like well it's the sticker shock it's the 25 years and then you broke that down ask more questions about that and then painted the beautiful picture of like okay let's go to the car dealership let's shift this out of here and like get you visualizing this in your mind and it made it make so much sense it, like just Even me pretending to be a customer. And it was like the option and and solution that you presented to the problem just made so much more sense than anything else.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like where a lot of guys get it twisted is they just kind of focus on what's on the proposal. And I'm like, guys, compare this to other things, paint the picture and other things that these homeowners buy is they view solar differently than a car. They view it differently than a house. They view it differently than anything, but in the reality of it, it's not, it's no, it's no different than anything they've ever purchased. Like there's, they're buying this, they're buying electricity every month. It's like this is just a different utility, a different form thereof. Here in Arizona, majority of this daytime power that you're getting through, like say APSA, um, a lot of it's already coming from renewable sources. It's like we got solar fields; you're, all your neighbors have solar. Who do you think's getting that excess power? You, the utility's buying it and selling it directly to you. It's like, hey guys, you've already gone solar. Your panels are just on Mr. Jones and Mr. Smith across the street. So you're paying for that power that's coming from their system, the utilities buying it and selling it directly to you for triple the price. So at the end of the day you can continue to do that, uh, that's totally fine if you want to buy their solar power or you can just cut out the middleman and do it yourself for cheaper. Does it make sense? So really what it is it's like just, you know, using comparables. It's like these, everyone owns a car. It's like would you sign a $300 a month car payment forever? No, no one would ever do that. Hell no! Who the heck would do that? It's like, well, that's what you did with APS or SRP or any TP or whatever <laughs> these utilities. It's like, that's what you did. That's exactly the situation that you're in. So you're worried about a 25 year option. It's like, well, how old are you? You're 30. Oh, it's like, well, you're probably going to be here for what? Let's just say you live to 90. It's a lot of years in terms of having to pay for electricity. You're worried about a 25 year option. Uh, the program you're on is until you die. So have fun.
0: No yeah. good. Unless you want to run your house on candles.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can go caveman mode. You can, you know, torch and, you know, and all that stuff, but good luck.
0: I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. Well, dude, we're going to have to cut you loose here, but, uh, I want to talk about DDDCon real quick. What are you most yeah. looking forward to? Um,
1: you know, I really like the, the workshops, uh, especially like the tax workshops, and also just like any any sort of the industry that I feel like I'm lacking. There's a lot of guys there and gals there that, are better than me at it, and I'm like, sweet. I'm gonna go learn from them. I'm gonna go listen and do a workshop for 35, 40 minutes to an hour and understand how they do it. Whether it's like recruiting or you know tax stuff or investment stuff, it's you know it's just a wealth of knowledge. So it's really cool to be able to, that you guys pull all these individuals together um, that are like minded individuals, especially a lot of young people in this industry that make a lot of money and they don't know what to do with it. So it's really cool to see you guys um, not just do like solar and pest control. It's like, Hey, now that you've made this money, let's be smart with it and not go blow it on a, you know, a car or something stupid. So (laughs) some off whites -whites or like some, something really dumb that's depreciating. So don't do that. If everyone's listening, don't spend your money on stupid stuff. (laughs) I love that.
0: I love that dude. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, We're excited to have you come. We're excited to have you on that stage. Uh, so guys, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, get your tickets. If this episode somehow comes out post D Con, I hope you were there. <laughs> um we're a little backed up on the podcast right now. It's it's crazy. But uh, yeah, for everyone listening, uh, this has been a phenomenal episode. Seth, do you got any call outs? Anyone you think should be hitting Golden Door in your in your organization? Ooh.
1: You know, there uh, there's a couple people that I think, but one in particular, this new kid, his name's Tyler. Uh, I'll make him watch this. He's on my team. He's a young kid. He's 19, 20 years old. Um, and he's just a killer. And I think he can do it. So if you're listening, Tyler, you're up to bat, pal. Let's go, Tyler. Boom. <laughs> I
0: love it, man. Well, dude, thanks for hopping on, everyone. This has been an episode of the Golden Door Deep Dive. Keep tuning in for more tips and tricks on how you can be a Golden Door winner. Well, thanks dude. Thanks for hopping on. That was great.